My name is Colleen Campbell, and I'm the coordinator of formation programs at the Catholic Apostolate Center in Washington, DC. Today, I'm gonna to be speaking with you about the art of accompaniment, humanity as medium of evangelization. So today we're really gonna be unpacking how the gift of our humanity can be put in service of the church's mission of evangelization, and also how it can help us answer our vocation to be missionary disciples. So today I'd like to get started by just framing our conversation with two kind of initial questions. So first, how does accompaniment utilize the gift of our humanity to evangelize? So what's so special about accompaniment? How does it help us evangelize better? And secondly, how can we cultivate and be good stewards of the gift of our humanity? So if we're gonna be using our humanity to evangelize, what kind of precautions, what kind of preparation and formation do we have to undergo in order to make sure that we're using our humanity in a healthy and holy way in order to evangelize? So first today, we'll kind of unpack this question of accompaniment. So first, a very famously quoted paragraph from Evangelii Gaudium, which is a description from Pope Francis about what accompaniment looks like. So he says, the church will have to initiate everyone, priests, religious, and laity into this art of accompaniment, which teaches us to remove our sandals before the sacred ground of the other. The pace of this accompaniment must be steady, reassuring, reflecting our closeness and our compassionate gaze, which also heals, liberates, and encourages growth in the Christian life. And this comes from paragraph 169. So let's unpack that a little bit. So first of all, this is not so much a definition as it is a description. So what Francis does for us here is he gives us a bunch of images to kind of pull from to form our own understanding of accompaniment. So let's look at some of those images. So first, he uses the word art, if you'll notice. He doesn't use business or science of accompaniment or methodology of accompaniment. He uses art. Second, he references this story from Exodus of Moses kind of stepping onto holy ground and having to remove his sandal in front of the burning bush um, in the theophany that in which God reveals himself as I am. And then finally, he uses some particular terms to shed, on, shed light on what accompaniment is. So he uses gaze, heals, liberates, pace, those specific words. So let's unpack these images a little bit. So first of all, art. Francis uses art and he implies that there's creativity involved in accompaniment and beauty and uniqueness. And maybe even too that those who accompany others are artists themselves. With the Exodus story, Francis kind of shows us that essentially what's at heart of accompaniment is an encounter. We see Moses encounter God, and we see also Moses have this tremendous sense of the sacred in front of him, this mystery in front of him, and he reverences and honors that presence. And so we really also see too that in the midst of this encounter, something sacred is going on. And then the descriptive words that Francis uses are all particularly human. 
He uses pace, gaze, heels, growth. And if you think about it, these are very human things, very living things. And so if you think about it, like a book can have a pace, right? Like a book can't grow legs and start walking with us. Um, a be beloved pet can't gaze into our eyes. They might gaze into our eyes because they're hungry and they want to treat, but they can't, they don't gaze like what Francis is talking about here. So essentially he's really showing us that accompaniment is a very human thing. He's showing us that it's an encounter between two people and that there's something sacred going on. And he also shows us that it's art essentially. So now that we talked about a description that Pope Francis gives us about accompaniment, let's talk about a definition. So let's focus in and zoom in a little bit more. So this definition comes from a book called The Art of Accompaniment, Theological, Spiritual, and Practical Elements of Building a More Relational Church. And I co-authored this book with my colleague, Tom Karani. And so in this book, what we basically tried to do is put some words to these beautiful definitions and descriptions that Francis gives us in his papacy about how to walk with another person in faith. And so this is what we were inspired to write from the example and words of Pope Francis. Spiritual accompaniment is the apostolate of intentional relationship that is oriented toward a definitive direction of growth and holiness and transformation in the person of Christ. So to unpack that just a little bit, let's go ahead and kind of parse out some of these words. So first of all, you see uh, the word apostolate used. So apostolate means the work of all the baptized that the baptized are called to as part of entering into the family of God through this gateway sacrament. So it's different than a ministry. So instead of saying the ministry of accompaniment, because Ministry is a certain particular call for particular people, but accompaniment is really something that we are called to do as part of our baptism that all of us who are baptized are called to do. And so it's something that comes with just the comes with the job description, basically, of being a Christian, of being baptized. And we think about this because when we are baptized into the family of God, we're called to walk with our family members. Um, the people of the church and accompany them. We also see this phrase, intentional relationship. So we enter into the relationship of accompaniment for a particular purpose. We enter into this relationship to walk with another person and help them seek God. This doesn't necessarily mean that we are trying to just be friends with people to con them into loving Jesus more, because that's not authentic relationship, right? That's that's very manipulative. And so what we're trying to do here through accompaniment is enter in relationship with people in a very intentional way, taking into account their social cultural circumstances, their personal history, their questions, their doubts, their likes, their dislikes, all of that. So we enter into a relationship with someone who's in front of us, a very particular person. And this kind of relationship is not so much like a regular teaching and learning relationship. It's actually a little bit different. It's a relationship of mutuality and solidarity. So we are entering into the other person's experience. We're putting our feet in their shoes, basically. We're learning that, uh, we're learning 
through their experiences, what they've been through, what they have questions about, where they're trying to seek God. And so we help them unpack through their particular human experiences that they share with us in their relationship of accompaniment, where God is calling them and where the Holy Spirit wants them to go next. And then we see these words oriented towards a definitive direction. So that means that accompaniment has a purpose and the purpose is conversion, learning how to imitate Christ more and more in our particular, particular life. So not just basically copying and becoming a copycat of the person who is walking with us in faith, but really learning how we particularly must imitate our, um, in our life, our call to be Christ. So from this definition, we see that humanity is really a medium for doing the art of accompaniment. We receive this call at our baptism, and then we enter into relationships with others. We respect and honor their human experience and use this human experience to help guide them closer and closer in relationship with Jesus Christ. So now that we've talked about first a description and then a definition, let's talk about some examples of accompaniment from scripture and also tradition. So I'm sure if you know anything about accompaniment or if you don't, that's okay too. The scripture kind of par excellence that is often talked about in this conversation of accompaniment is Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. In this particular circumstance, we see that Jesus walks with with his disciples, and he listens to them and listens to their fears, their anxieties, their dash hopes, and he begins where they are. So he asks them on the road, what are you two discussing? Because they're discussing basically how Jesus was killed and how their hopes were dashed and how they were hoping that salvation was going to come to them. And we see Jesus not start on a theological kind of treatise at the moment saying, um, you know, giving the reasons for why he died and why he, you know, had to suffer the way he did. But we see him first listen, okay? And so this is a very important part of accompaniment is listening, but also enter in, entering into where people are. So we see him just let them be angry, let them be upset. And so from here, we really see this kind of um, example of what accompaniment should look like from Jesus. And moving a little bit along from scripture to um, tradition. So I'm an Irish Catholic, as you can probably tell from my name. And so um, one of the things that I like to talk about in accompaniment and or talking about accompaniment and also talking about tradition and where they intersect is um, in Celtic spirituality, there's this tradition called um, having an Anamkara, having a soul friend. And so what an Anamkara is, is basically a more experienced Christian to whom a Christian would go and basically share their experiences of walking in the faith. They might confess sins, they might receive spiritual direction, and so really from this very early tradition of Anamkara, we see this idea of accompaniment, of listening to one another, the shared mutual relationship, advice, guidance, and using human experience to grow in faith. 
And then some other examples. So we, of course, in the church have had a long history of um, Christian initiation and the baptismal catechumenate. So we see both a sponsor or godparent and the actual Christian community walk with somebody as they partake in this journey of faith and this journey of conversion um, to live faith in, in the Catholic church. We also see an example of accompaniment in saints. I think of Francis and Claire, and I even think of, you know, St. Therese and how many uh, saints are come from her family. So we really see that saints accompany saints. And one of my favorite saints is St. Edith Stein. And St. Edith Stein was um, raised Jewish, but then fell away from any faith. And she was atheist for a while. And so actually one of the things that helped her convert from atheism to Catholicism was reading the biography of St. Teresa of Avila, which was written in the 1500s. And if you think about when Edith Stein converted, which was the 1920s, we see accompaniment from one saint to another, even across centuries. And then besides saints, we also see the church's solidarity with the poor. We see this come out of especially Pope Francis being influenced by the Latin American context of the church being called to be in solidarity with the poor and being in solidarity with them and not only walking with them in the spiritual aspects of evangelization, but also the social aspects. So working with them to find ways to have better conditions, better living conditions, less oppression, more freedom, more liberation. So we see this come out from Latin America. And then of course, lastly, we also have the example of houses of religious formation. So we think about younger nuns being accompanied by older nuns, older um, priests accompanying seminarians. And we still have this today in our houses of formation for religious life. And just in case you weren't convinced of the importance and beauty of accompaniment, accompaniment is important. Um, both theology and research agree. So first of all, um, in as far as the research uh, goes, one of the major domains that influence American teens' faith trajectories is close relational ties with religious adults. So we see this theme of walking with one another and that if we have someone to walk with us, we're more likely to stay in the faith and practice our faith. And that, of course, comes from Christian Smith, who's a sociologist at the University of Notre Dame. And then secondly, we see this in our faith. This is, this is our faith. God, however, does not make men holy and save them merely as individuals without bond or link between one another. This is from Lumen Gentium, the beautiful document from the Second Vatican Council. So we see this idea that nobody's saved alone, both like in a spiritual eschatological sense, but also in a very real sociological research sense that you persevere in faith because you have other people to walk with you. And now, since we've talked about first a description, then a definition and some examples, as well as some other points about accompaniment, what does it even mean to have good accompaniment? Like, what does that even look like? So this particular paragraph that I'm about to tell you about is from Christus Vivid. And Christus Vivid is the final document upon um, ending the Synod for Youth, Young People, and Vocation um, in 2018. And this particular paragraph 
has made it all the way through. There were some preliminary meetings with young adults who basically told the church what they needed in these preparatory documents before the synod happened. And so these exact words were in the preparatory document and made it all the way where um, Pope Francis actually quoted them in this final document, Christus Vivit. So it's really what young people are telling the church what good accompaniment looks like. So this is not what the church just like thinks good accompaniment looks like. This really is what people who need accompaniment are saying that it looks like. So it's very important to pay attention to. So the same young people describe to us the qualities they hope to find in a mentor. And they express, express this with much clarity. The qualities of such a mentor include being a faithful Christian who engages with the church and the world, someone who constantly sings holiness, someone who is a confidant without judging. Similarly, someone who actively listens to the needs of young people and responds in kind, someone deeply loving and self-aware, someone who recognizes his or her limits and knows the joys and the sorrows of the spiritual journey. So we really see here what it looks like to accompany well. We see these, uh, these characteristics that are very human, the ability to empathize with others, the ability to listen and respond, the ability to show an example and show witness through our lives to other people, to show them how we are constantly seeking holiness. These are all human things. It's not, you know, you have this ability to, um, you know, compute these great numbers or have these very technical abilities. No, these are very human qualities. And so it just illustrates again, why accompaniment is this very particular way that we can use our humanity in service of evangelization. So in order to actually provide fruitful accompaniment and actually to be able to do good accompaniment, of course, we're not just born with like perfect qualities. We're not just born with all of these at 100%, right? We have to actually grow into these. So we have to engage in formation and we have to be very intentional in building up our self-awareness. We have to be intentional in learning how to listen actively we need to know what it means to be a Christian witness in this world, okay? So we have to build up and cultivate those qualities very intentionally. So to summarize here, our humanity is a gift with which we can minister and evangelize to others. And because Jesus Christ himself was the first to give this gift to us through becoming human, through becoming um, one of us in his incarnation, we can follow his example by using our humanity in order to help others in their transformation and conversion. And we see how Jesus himself models this, but through our human qualities of patience, love, solidarity, compassion, empathy, and our human activities such as listening, teaching, mutually discovering, sharing, encouraging, supporting, we foster in a particular and intentional space where someone can come to know God through their human experience, through the things that they share with us. And through our presence, we can also mediate the love of God 
through how we treat and respect and reverence the person in front of us. So I really think that this quote really encapsulates what we're talking about here. Jesus Christ was made human so that we may become gods, right? So this idea of divinization, that the reason that we have our humanity is to help each other get to heaven. And so what better way have we been shown than accompaniment through Jesus Christ's example? So now that we've talked about this first question about how we can use our humanity in service of evangelization, how do we now cultivate and take care of and strengthen that gift of our humanity? Self-care. So self-care is the intentional and mindful, the intentional and mindful intention, attention that we give to ourselves in order to foster our ability to live a healthy, holy, and generous life. So you're probably wondering why I have this airplane here. Um, but if you think about the last time that you've ever flown on an airplane, you may remember that the uh, flight attendant tells you that if the cabin loses air pressure and has a drop in air pressure, that um, your ox their oxygen mass will fall from the, uh, the ceiling in front, in front of you. And they, if you'll remember, they tell you first to put your oxygen mask on before you assist someone else. And so this is a really great image for self-care because it shows us that we have to first take care of ourselves or else we won't be able to take care of the other person. And we will also probably die in the process. If we're thinking about a plane going down, um, we really need to think about taking care of ourselves so that we can pour ourselves out and live a, the most generous response to God's call in our vocation as possible. So what does our faith have to say about self-care? So here are two great gospel passages that have to do with self-care. So first from Mark 6, Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. People were coming and going in great numbers and they had no opportunity even to eat. So we see people who are probably very claustrophobic, are always being surrounded by crowds, very hungry, probably hangry at this point. And we see people who are probably very like tired as well. And Jesus names this and acknowledges this. And then secondly, the famous passage from Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. So we see in both of these scenarios, Jesus doesn't like say, oh, well, your bodies really don't matter because like what matters in life is the spiritual part of you. No, Jesus here affirms his disciples and his followers humanity, and he encourages them and calls them to take, take care of that and attend to that humanity. And so really Jesus sets the example for self-care that we need to be mindfully paying attention to what is going on in our bodies, what's going on around us that might be affecting our minds or our spirits or our bodies. And now that we've seen what our faith has to say about self-care, what, what does it make a difference? Why does self, what does self-care have to do with our holiness? Well, like I said before, in the example of the, um, the oxygen mask in the plane, our ability to take care of our, ourselves and attend to our needs to first fill ourselves up 
enables us to take care of others and be more generous with them. And instead of us gasping for breath because we don't have the oxygen mask on and we're just desperately trying to put it on the other person next to us, if we have that mask of um, oxygen first, then we can concentrate on putting the oxygen mask on the person next to us. And we're able to do that very carefully and we're gonna we're able to get it right the first time and we're able to keep you know keep our lives in the process we're not expending all of our energy to do something because we don't have any energy left so really our ability to care for ourselves allows us to generously answer the call that god has given to us in our life so that call to holiness but also that call to holiness specifically in out each of our particular lives. So not just our call to be holy, that's a part of the universal call to holiness, but also the ability to find holiness and seek holiness in our lives as catechists, as teachers, as parents, as engineers, as service workers, as nurses, and so on and so forth. So it really helps us and enables us to give of our lives generously and really pour ourselves out because we filled ourselves out first. And so this is what I think it really has to say about our holiness is this beautiful quote from Christus Vivit. For our life on earth reaches full stature when it becomes an offering. So we're unable to make that offering of our life and our vocation if we are not, we don't have anything to offer because we've expended ourselves so much. And so that's why it's so important to make sure to take care of ourselves so we have something to offer, so we can give ourselves generously in our vocation, whatever that may look like. And I'm not sure about you, but I know a lot of people in my generation talk about self-care in a way that's very Instagram friendly, right? Self-care is making sure you do your full skincare regime, right? And then you make sure that you have the hot bath and the glass of wine and the cozy robe after. Well, that those, those are things that can be part of self-care, but it's often not the full picture of what self-care asks us to do and asks us to really attend to our needs. And so here are some examples that are not things you can put on Instagram, um, but they're still hashtag self-care. So if we think and remember that self-care helps us answer the question, what do we need at this particular moment? Here are some things that we might answer with. We might say that we need to see a therapist. Okay, that's extremely important. We might say that we need to change our diet and make, make a little bit like of a healthier choice as far as what we choose to eat. We might need to make a, doc a doctor's appointment to make sure that we're taking care of our health. We might need to learn how to communicate better. It might be that we are constantly um, saying yes to things and constantly just not having any boundaries with our time and saying yes to things that we don't have a capacity for. So self-care can sometimes be learning to say no. And then similarly, self-care can also be having difficult conversations. If you need space from your spouse or your partner, you might have to have a conversation with them saying, hey, I'd really like some more time to like have time to pray by myself or have time to just gather my thoughts and be very collected when I walk in the door, when I come home from work every day, like making sure that 
you know, setting boundaries and being able to communicate in those difficult conversations, being, being able to communicate very pastorally if we work in ministry, um, but also very um, in a Christ-like way if we're not necessarily called to ministry. But um, these are all things that help us answer the question, what do we need in a particular circumstance? So I encourage you to think about that question, what do you need, like even just right now? And maybe some of these might answer that question, but maybe think of some other options that you have that might help answer that question. So just before we kind of wrap up, some questions that I'd really encourage you to think of, not only about self-care, but also um, just about your own gifts and accompaniment and what that looks like in your life. I really encourage you to just take a moment and sit with these questions and not just think about the, the scripture we talk and the, talked about today and what we have from tradition to talk about accompaniment and self-care, but really also think about how these things show up in your own life, because that's really where the, the learning and the implementation happens is if we're able to name and identify and implement these things in our own life. So maybe spend some time reflecting on what your particular gifts are, how you can use those gifts to accompany others. And then maybe look at self-care, rate yourself on self-care. Do you do an adequate, an adequate job of taking care of yourself or is there room for improvement? And then return to that question, what are your needs right now? And how might meeting those needs help you live a more holy and healthy life? So these are just some, I think, helpful questions to really name and implement these things that we've talked about in a very concrete way in our lives. So today we talked about both accompaniment and self-care. And the thing that brings these two themes together are, is our humanity. And so we learned how accompaniment is a way in which we can use the gift of our humanity in service of evangelization and in service to the mission of the church. And then we learned how to really be good stewards of our humanity through doing self-care and making sure that we're very attentive to our needs and the things happening within us. And so through both of these things, you will hopefully be able to grow in your ability to use your humanity as a medium for evangelization. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, if you ever need to contact me and if you wanna talk more about either of these two ideas or see or learn anything about anything that the Catholic Apostolate Center um, can help you work through, um, my contact information is on the screen. And I really look forward to hearing from you. So thank you guys so much. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the conference.